Welcome to the Event Room, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Hey, everybody, this is another episode of Event Brew coming at you in the world of social distancing still and pandemic related fun. This is Nick Borelli from Borelli Strategies. Yay, that sounds so fun, Nick. It's Tui Deep. <laughs> and this is Will Kern from Endless Events. Excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, a fun week to uh, be talking about uh, a topic that's uh, really excited, uh, exciting because it's the future and it's something that uh, we've been able to uh, potentially play in for years, but now we are all woken up to it. Uh, but first, we have to be hydrated in order to uh, accomplish that future. So uh, what is everybody drinking today? I'm drinking the same thing. I really need to like sign up for like a chai latte subscription or something, but I'm drinking the I'm drinking some vanilla niche. vanilla chai David Rio. Chai. That's actually a really good idea to do like a tea service, like a delivery. Oh, there package. is. There's a dollar oh, there dollar dollar tea club, and then um, uh, Art of Tea also has a tea subscription too. But that's just like normal tea. I want chai. That's oh. super niche. Chai of the month <laughs> club is chai of the month. Hmm. I don't know though. I'm actually really particular about chai, so I probably actually wouldn't like it. I'd probably like hate all of them and be like, I just wish I would just go end up back going get back to Dia Vibrio. So Yeah, I have like my go to teas. But I feel like I'm pulling somewhat of a Nick. Like if Nick lived in LA, I'm probably drinking the most like not healthiest thing I've had. And it's an al a Korean aloe drink. And it has little pieces of aloe in it. Ooh, so it's delicious. Like it's like, it's like my, my bottle drink. Yeah, it's in a big like like green bottle it was made in korea i got it in k-town and now i'm hmm. sipping on it like dessert nick what are you drinking and that's you trying to relate to the kind of things yeah. that i drink including <laughs> my selection it has sugar in it <laughs> yeah because it has sugar in it huh uh yeah well i'm drinking kool-aid jammers sharkleberry uh, fin uh, a, a, an excellent vintage uh, of both uh, the collaboration between both Kool-Aid Man and a shark. Uh, it has the strawberry and orange punch flavor uh, without any of that uh, pesky actual fruit juice. So, uh, Is yeah. that yours or your kids? Are you stealing you know, juice boxes from, from the kids? <laughs> you know, honestly, what I do is it's for me because it's like a 90s throwback uh, thing uh, and I am able to get it because I can do it under the uh, guise of it's for my kids uh, and they taste it and they're just like Ugh, I don't really like this and I'm like more for me <laughs> hmm sharkleberry mm. fin yeah that and uh, purple source rex are my two favorite but you know I'm a I'm a six-year-old so that's my palate uh, speaking of things that are six years old 
um, hybrid event strategy. Does that work? Oh, that, that, that not transition work. was great. Yeah, no, totally. No, hybrid, events have, hybrid events have been around forever. Yeah, they've been around forever. That's true. It's just that uh, I, in 2016, it was just like, I think I may have said this before, it was like my platform to talk about on uh, in speaking presentations about how the the future of events is hybrid. And I, I tied it into my background of uh, someone who got into web design uh, in high school, as well as uh, working in live events in high school and like how I did those two things separately. Uh, and then over the years, I merged those two things together. So I was like, man, this is my my story to tell because I have this kind of personal connection of, uh, of working in these two different separate industries. And then I merged them similar to what I thought uh, events should be doing. And, you know, I think what happened was that face-to-face -face events uh, just kept getting uh, more and more sophisticated, um, better, had more data, uh, and they were climbing to the degree that they just didn't need to full-scale adopt hybrid uh, in the way that they thought they did because, you know, when things are good, uh, you know, you don't, you don't stretch further than you have to, I think. Uh, and the legitimacy that was coming to face-to-face -face events was unprecedented uh, in the face of what was seen as, I think, adversarially uh, digital. Um, and that was, that was kind of where we were. You know, we were in this place of, of this newfound um, excitement around face-to-face, -face, the idea of like festivalization and the experience economy and everything was kind of going great. Uh, and, you know, even though things like uh, social media and such were taking uh, root and taking a lot of budget away from, you know, other uh, areas of, of um, uh, budgets in general, um, it was OK because events were still growing, you know, pretty much every single year in most categories. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and it, it's this great pause and this reset. And uh, we've been in this period of, you know, the overuse of the of the word pivot. Um, which really just means unplanned, um, forcibly moved into exclusively digital. Um, and I think that we're maybe just coming out of that to degree where we have enough room to breathe and look to the future. And maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel, um, but there's enough learned uh, traits and habits around digital that um, even though people, you know, especially in our industry, crave to go back to the th way that things were, we know that that's, you know, there's no such thing as the way that things were. And the only future that, you know, that that seems uh, pl plausible at this point is is hybrid. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know anyone right now who would want to build, like, I don't know why you would ever not to, to have any sort of hybrid component at your event at all like i mean like i feel like well i'm using the word like a lot i feel that a lot of people right now are also just jumping into hybrid because they hear that buzzword and like i need to do it but then you know or just it's kind of just getting tacked on it's kind of like being saying things like oh i saw lasers this one time yeah let's get lasers <laughs> out of general session and i'm like okay do you understand like the laws and variances around lasers they're like no like just make it lasers i'm like what if instead i do moving headlights that look like lasers and they're like, no, we want laser lasers. And I end up like just giving them moving headlights <laughs> that look like lasers. Right. Um, but like, okay. I, feel, I, I feel that a lot of people are just doing it because it's the thing, right. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like just name it's the TikTok of the events industry. There you go. It's the TikTok of events industry. Right now people don't know how to use it or what it is. They're just, I'm going to do it. 
indoor fireworks uh, uh what was the uh mirror booths like uh yeah we we we're in an industry that enjoys a trend uh and novelty yet this isn't that um i think that the the thing that uh is missing that because the technology is all, all you know has existed for a decade is is the the need want and strategy um and um i i really feel like most hybrid events that have taken place are really just face-to-face events with um, a a bit of uh, a virtual portal thrown into the mix as an afterthought. Um, and now we've been doing the reverse where we've only been doing the virtual. So I think we're learning these new skills and having these new muscles. And we're like, man, we can, we can actually design an event in a virtual space that is cool and different and plays into the benefits that uh, this type of experience has that is unique to it. Um, and then I think if you couple the idea of like when we go back to more face-to-face events, we're going to be craving it so bad um, that I think that the the new skills learned plus the heart grows fonder from being you know away um, is going to be this perfect storm for some actually designed well thought out hybrid events versus this kind of bolt on, you know, half measure. See, I feel like you two are like the tech masters, though. I don't even think hybrid is cool yet. It's going to be when we're able to be in person. And but there's going to be a handful of people that are uncomfortable to attend, which is why, you know, like, planners are going to be forced to start designing Mm -hmm. in it. But I don't think it's a thing yet. Even though it's been a you know, the opportunities have been there the whole time. Yeah, yeah I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah, I agree. I was gonna say, yeah, it might be a little bit of us being a little bit of a, a futurist and, you know, like looking into the future as well. But, you know, I think that might be also one of the problems right now is just that like not everyone's there yet. So therefore there's not like a hundred percent this product development or, you know, um, you know, industry changing shift that's going to allow it to move into that like deeper strategy as well. Um, I feel like the question just becomes even before maybe even if we are starting to predict or not is like when is is hybrid ever an option that people shouldn't do or is it like always just like a yes like a like it, of course I mean on the planner side we don't know how to do it <laughs> like <laughs> you need to be I feel like that's a whole nother a whole new world that you have to educate yourself on that's a whole nother platform with different like how the attendees interact and and you're basically taking two events and putting it together in one or maybe not two events oh, yeah. one event but for two me right now yes ex- yeah. yes actually ex- exactly two experiences into one and planners already have like this r- endless l- to checklist and so that's i i want to get into like the, the designing of it and like how and and why and but I can't think of a reason not to do it. I guess if the stakeholders and the objective of the meeting is really just like all face to face or like full presence, you know, like no technology, maybe that's when you don't use a hybrid. Nick, can you think of any examples? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would all like just as a blanket statement, say that there's there's n- there's no absolutes in design. You know, it's got to it's got to fit function. Right. So like. Uh, I would say that like the majority of uh, experiences uh, should be able to be as inclusive as possible in order to uh, be accommodate different people's needs, uh, which includes remote viewing. 
Um, and, and there's a myriad of reasons why someone would uh, have to take in your event from a screen, um, you know, even if it's just for like archival purposes or um, uh, just the consideration of people with different physical needs uh, um, in different, you know, potentially, I mean, anxiety, it could be a million different things, right? So I think that like, for the most part, I think that most events at, at any specific scale probably should be designed in hybrid um, because it's inclusive. Um, but outside of that, like when would it be something that probably doesn't make sense? Um, I think if you if you wanted to create an, an environment with like a, a lot of uh, fear of missing out um, as, a, as a motivator to attend the face-to-face -face, uh, and you can't design around that, although I'd argue that most of the time you can design uh, inclusively oh, yeah, sure. with, you know, with FOMO. Um, but I think of like, as an example, um, I mean, this is not your traditional event, I'll grant you. Um, but like, uh, I think of stand-up comedians now, uh, this is kind of a weird, uh, analogy potentially, but like a stand-up comedian, like they, they, they try to like have it. So many of them, like, uh, even Dave Chappelle, like will say like no cell phones, are even allowed, uh, no cameras whatsoever are allowed in the set because he's actually working on the material. It's like a workshopping thing. Um, and, you know, like until the material is like kind of perfected in front of a variety of different audiences. Um, and you've experienced probably keynote speakers that are, have similar uh, needs. Um, maybe not from that same point of view of like working to get there, but like just, you know, exclusivity of the content uh, to not exist somewhere digitally as well, because you kind of lose the control over that. So you could say that uh, you could say small meetings potentially where it's more uh, it's about maybe trust building and uh, that kind of thing. Right. Where it's about. Um, building a small team around the the face-to-face -face element being the um the part that would be played with uh, in the design itself exclusively so like it just wouldn't translate to digital um but i think those are probably the exceptions um and that's um what is required more so for hybrid really is to take design thinking uh, and apply it to uh, the digital experience uh, and ensure that there is a cohesiveness in uh, what is expected of the of the experience between the two. And then probably most of the time, uh, another element that is uh, missing is is a community that is inclusive of uh, the virtual and the face to face where the interaction and the connectivity uh, is something that is taking place between the two. And, and I would argue that that's probably what a true hybrid event is, is, is not just this yeah. isolated experience, but some way that you can bridge yeah. the gap. And I don't, I don't know if I I've experienced like a lot of blur, this. the blurring of like, yeah, in person and virtual, and they can have the same quality, not sorry, the same experience, but the same quality experience, um, whether they're virtual or in person as well. You know what I just, I unfortunately can predict the future in, in this scenario and <laughs> hybrid events, virtual events are going to be just like people with dietary restrictions where everyone's going to have a meal, but where mm. the vegetarians are going to get the salad and the vegans are going to get a salad with no cheese. Like That's hybrid events, I feel like are going to be the perfect. last thing that we're going to really think think about and I really wish that there was like a course that people could take and get maybe certified and be a 
professional in this and to kind of help out the, you know, the planner or whoever is, is running the show. But there's just so much logistics and knowledge that needs to be thought about that is not you don't even run into those scenarios when it comes to live events but it's so important because you have a bigger typically a bigger audience and more reach which is wonderful to have but dietary restriction that's the, that's the perfect analogy <laughs> that's the that's like such a perfect analogy because like yeah everyone's getting fed but one person's getting their meal yeah 10 minutes later than everybody else and it's cold and it's an afterthought and it's not you know it's just the side dish um that's yeah that's that's perfect and 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 honestly the people who have the great hospitality experiences are the ones that make the person feel like um they're not different they're not separate but you know trying to be separate but equal but in fact everyone sitting around the table having a, a, a designed experience with the same impact um and even though that like even if it's like a smaller grouping of people it doesn't matter you know who the majority or minority is there's a cohesiveness um to the belonging, uh, uh, to the event, um, that, that, uh, yeah, you're right. I don't, I mean, I rarely see that when it comes to the virtual. Um, and that, that's why I think that we haven't really reached what hybrid events can be and should be. And in fact, we're having a virtual event simultaneously, uh, with a face-to-face -face event as, as opposed to what I think a true hybrid event actually could be. Which, I want to ask honestly, Will, like, what Will, is that? Will's what does that look like? To, like, because I feel like you have that that knowledge to. I can't even visualize well, like or think per, about what like a perfect, perfect hybrid event. Yeah, hybrid event. like, give us an example of what that would look like. Um. Yeah. I mean, like, it depends. Obviously, like, I think Nick's right there. Like, it depends on the strategy first, because like, there's, there's. I'll sh give you a great example of what it it accomplished perfectly for what it was going to do, and this is like an event that happened years ago and still happened happened up until this point um and then i'll kind of dive into ones that people i think are a little bit less like okay like this is gonna a lot of people are gonna say this is oh that makes sense but i'm not that event um and i think ultra music festival is a great example of this um they first started live streaming their festival and like this i mean this is when festivals were not live streaming at all and they did it in like cinema quality with like crane cameras that went over the audience they had like i think they had like 10 cameras on the main stage um, and I think that what they did is they did a really cool job at first. They used to just show like whole entire sets. Then they realized that there were so many DJs. They're like, we can just put these setups on all these stages and cut and do like 15 minutes at this stage, 15 minutes of this one. And what was great. And I think what made it such a great hybrid event is that I wanted to enjoy the music. I wanted to see what the stages look like. I wanted to see what the experience was like. Obviously nothing beats like the bass in your chest. And I have a pretty nice sound system at home too. So like, you know, like I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than most people. But I think that, um, you know, it made me so want to go that I wanted to buy a ticket the next year. Right. And I think that's a great example of a hybrid event. The next thing they should have done is honestly sell the tickets for like five bucks or, you know, make the ability for me to watch an entire set for five bucks, but only the 15 minutes, you know, quick flop if I do it for free or something like that. But I think it did such a good job being a hybrid event that it had this in-person experience that was so good, so good. But then also as well, they had this, you know, virtual experience. So let's talk about an example that people don't think of. I'm not drinking enough water, so I'm coughing all the time. Oh, <laughs> I was like, can you? Is that a question? Like, Will is dying over here. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was like trying not to cough in the camera so, or the, the microphone, so I was uh, muting myself. 
So um, let's talk about an experience that that is a little bit harder and how I brainstorm through it a little bit. Again, you have to have strategy first, because if you don't come to me with strategy and you just say, like, we have a conference, we want to make sure it's hybrid. And I'm going to say, OK, well, what's important parts like all those things that we talk about, you know, I think before and on the show. But I would say the same thing with hybrid. So here's a great example of one I was brainstorming earlier. Um, hosted buyer appointments, which we're all really used to. If you've ever attended an industry conference, you've probably done hosted buyer appointments. This was like a really critical part of their event. And they had said like, well, how do we do this hybrid way? And I started brainstorming with them. I said, look, like first thing you gotta do is imagine there's no budgets, there's no limits of technology. Because if you start first off by being like, oh, if, well, we have a small budget or we have this, you're gonna get stuck in the thinking of like, okay, we're just gonna throw a camera in the back of the room and live stream it, right? But like I was brainstorming with them and said, okay, well, host buyer appointments, you have vendors sitting at tables or uh, even planners and people walking around having these appointments and conversations that happen on a timer system and everything like that as well. Well, how can we blur the line between in-person and virtual. Um, and so my idea that I basically shared with them, I was like, look, why don't you do this? Here, a, a crazy idea. Let's get robots that the virtual attendees can be, and they can be literally, the, if they're the ones walking around from table to table, they can literally walk to each table as a robot, right? And whether it walk meaning with legs or like with wheel wheels going around and that technology exists. And I don't think it's terribly expensive. You could probably do it really easily, but like I'm imagining that like, if I was, let's say all the vendors or uh, the, the planners are sitting down or the, your clients or buyers are sitting down and um, your vendors are the ones moving around, I bet you a vendor would pay for the cost to support that um, robot that's driving around. So then that way they could still go and attend and meet the planners at the event without being there as well. And that's how you can blur the lines because yes, it's not the same thing as shaking the hand. You don't get to give them the business cards, but if the point is to communicate, to connect, so you can start a conversation later, like maybe a, you having a little robot driving around from person to person could do that. And that's an example of one little element, I think within a hybrid event. And that means that the person who has a robot, probably if you had a lot of them and it wasn't just like one person, because I've been that one person at the robot at the event, it sucks. Um, but if you have lots of them, people will learn to accept them as attendees, or maybe you have to build the culture of your event to accept them as attendees. Um, and then they can have the same level of experience, I think, as an in-person person. And rant. It's interesting. I mean, I, I've, I've thought for a long time that the only opportunity for VR to have its place in the midst of a of a live experience is some way for the face to face person in some uh, some capacity to uh, have a, a way to communicate to um, you know maybe it's AR via slash VR VR at home and AR in person. Um, this is an, an example other than just futurist. Uh, dreams but um you know being able to actually have a chair that is filled with a digital person uh next to someone that the ar provides you the opportunity to see face to face and the vr allows you to see um an avatar of that person or something like that you know so you can you know potentially have some kind of communication between the two short of that stuff which seems a little bit out of reach for you know almost anyone um I really just look at the idea that like uh, virtual events um, have a lot less empathetic design than face to face events. And like, that's really the problem, like thinking about the person who is sitting uh, at their at their desk and, um, you know, maybe isn't getting to move around and getting to feel the excitement or, um, you know, just just feel that. 
you have the design. Like, cause think of it. Yeah. When we watch yeah. movies, that captivates yeah. us. We're not at our desk anymore. We're like Agreed. in that scene. So yeah. if anything, you just need a really good designer to make you feel those experiences, to make you feel like you belong and feel like you're immersed in that world. Yeah, that's why I've been boiling down my my current way of thinking around virtual events and face-to-face events as face-to-face events are the superior um, experience for engaging senses and virtual events have the opportunity to be the superior uh, experience to engage emotion. Uh, not to say that you can't, you know, absolutely engage emotion in a face-to-face space, but um, when was the last time um, that you saw something in a face-to-face event in the midst of a face event, uh, a face-to-face event that made you cry. Now, when was the last time that you uh, watched uh, a movie or a television show or even a commercial that made you cry? You know, like how That's does, gonna, yeah, right? So, like, uh-huh. you know, why why does one have that ability, or like, do you laugh more frequently? You know, when you watch stuff on TV, potentially, than you do. Uh, when you are face to face with people, are you more guarded? Are you more reserved? Are you considering how other people are seeing you? Right. So my like uh, ex- kind of working theory right now of like how to design uh, and a little bit more so uh, or differently, I guess, it, 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 when doing dis- uh, hybrid is. How do I engage your senses in the face-to-face element of it? And then how do I engage your emotions? And, and the engaging emotions part, I really think, comes down to um, uh, an investment in production uh, for virtual that is, is a lot higher than has been done, uh, more in, in the line of uh, a theatrically uh, produced uh, experience than it is a, uh, an iMag that happens to be uh, broadcasting, you know, like I think you have to consider B-roll and other video uh, from that is pre-created and I- interstitching it into the live experience uh, in a way that plays with and pulls your emotions uh, and then brings you back to the face to face at the at the you know the right time, you know, camera A, camera B, switching back and forth uh, from from pre-roll uh, in order to get you. And heighten things, uh, not just different angles and like, you know, cranes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, production that takes in uh, directorial vision um, in order to uh, play with emotions as opposed to uh, simply just better shots with better equipment. So I, I really think that like production design um, is, is the gateway to um, the missing component. I think that and an exceptional MC is required for virtual events to um, to bridge the gap in a way that um, the face to face doesn't require as much because you have the senses sort of pl- filling in the gaps. Yes. Uh, so yeah, a, a really strong design thinking production company that has a lot of um, pr- uh, pre created content that is stitched in, uh, coupled with uh, continuity of a. Uh, a really smart and the right uh, moderator for the right job, uh, I think is is the thing that if you include those two things, uh, then you have the opportunity for the virtual to be as good as an emotional pulling um, uh, window into the experience as a face-to-face does with senses and quote-unquote experiential. 
Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement. So like the the moderator slash MC is like the most underrated role in anything that touches the internet. Totally. Like like the virt whether you're pure virtual or doing hybrid. I mean, like I feel like the MC and things like that, like it's been huge. And like I'll link, we'll link to I'm sure an episode where we uh, interviewed Dan Ram um, to about virtual MCing. But like, man, even like I thought it was an important thing, but then I had talked to him and I just realized I was like, if you have someone who's so good, they can captivate the audience so well and just really rock that crowd and my, lead the audience together. My like my six year old is so enamored with uh, video game streamers uh, that both my you know my wife and I will watch and be like what they're doing on the screen is objectively boring um, really boring in my opinion but the yeah the, yeah I mean they're just the, literally playing video games like how many people if I said hey come over and hang out and watch me play video games would you be like yes but then like millions you, and millions of people watch these people right and for hours at a time and meanwhile we, we've been talking for the last decade of like getting videos down to like 30 seconds you know it was like two minutes 60 seconds 30 seconds and these people on a daily basis potentially uh, capture hundreds of millions of uh, you know, views and it's because of their, you know, likely natural skill uh, of emotionally engaging uh, empathetically, I think, with their audience and connecting and like face to face events like we just, you know, we just don't we skip that. We just stick a sentinel camera somewhere and I just hope that people, you know, um, follow along. Mm. Well, it's like the ringmaster. Totally. Right? In the cir totally. circus. I'm watching Pose or I'm binge watching Pose right now. It's mm -hmm. the uh, have you guys seen it? So no. Good. No, uh, I know I know what you're talking so about. Oh god. <laughs> well, you should definitely watch it. Yeah. I oh, man. I've been you guys know about catching it, right? up on RuPaul lately. That's been my Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, same. But it's just so like you the show must go on and it's you know, like this individual, this MC, this commentator that constantly is just keeping it all alive keeping the energy and i think that's the other thing that people forget about too it's like energy level and i think that's why people go into like the zoom exhausted and you know this that and the other if it's entertaining it's not like i wouldn't be exhausted i think i attended a two-hour zoom meeting and it was incredible because the person knew what they were doing and I was, I wanted more i was like wait that went by so fast <laughs> that's when you know you can really captivate the audience is if it's like if it just flashes you know time goes by when you're having fun one of my favorite entertainment acts of all time uh is penn and teller and um if you know anything about them the talent really is teller the guy that doesn't talk uh he's he's like next level magician where other magicians are like that guy is like his craft is like exceptional um but they, you know, it's been said in interviews and things like that, because these people, these two have had a 40 year long career uh, that, you know, there's other people who are more obscure that um, have the same, you know, potential level of talent. Uh, but Penn Gillette's main skill is that he, he's pretty good at magic. He came from uh, a background of being a juggler. But his real skill is that he is a carnival barker that draws you in with uh, kind of a magnetic personality uh, of enthusiasm, passion, and uh, and kind of surprise and delight energy. And like I think that 
that type of thing when it comes to, you know, you think of like, what's the, what's the secret of magic, the secret of magic. And I think that like face to or in virtual events is kind of has to be this level of magic because it doesn't have the ability to engage you, uh, in, in the, you know, in the face to face with the senses, uh, is this kind of misdirection heightened, uh, you know, the stakes uh, that you really follow. And like I, I've been touting around on the webinars and things that I've been talking around uh, virtual events again quite a bit. The idea that um, my my favorite um, virtual event is the Olympics uh, simply because it takes some sports that are objectively boring and it makes them fascinating and interesting uh, by having uh, voices that you know and trust uh, and believe in that are like at the top of their absolute game, uh, orchestrating content in interstitched in the midst of the, uh, the spectacle of, you know, uh, cleaning, uh, uh, ice with, uh, a broom, uh, objectively pouring stuff with stories of people's past. And, uh, you know, this, the person's mom said they could do it and, you know, they, they broke their arm and whatever else, uh, pulling on those emotions, uh, is such a, such an amazing, uh, thing, uh, that they get right with that, that the whole world watches something that is, again, I, I think that if you, as much as watching Will play video games at his house doesn't sound entertaining to me, um, it still sounds slightly more entertaining than watching somebody with a broom clear off ice with a rock going down it. And yet every four years, people all over the world watch that dumb sport, objectively dumb sport, because there's human stake at, involved through storytelling. That makes me think of Japanese um, game shows. Those oh I could watch the best all day because it's all day so entertaining. Yeah, I got really. I don't know if I brought this up before. I got really into this. It's uh, the fourth episodes tonight uh, of this game show called Don't uh, with Ryan Reynolds. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, we definitely did talk. Oh no, we were talking about that on a different call. Never mind. Yeah, d- yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't it. <laughs> yeah, we would say Will, Will and Learning I are talking together. so much with other people that we are forgetting what we're recording. Uh, I was thinking that too. I'm like, did we already talk about that? I'm like, no, different, different group. Um, but yeah, in that, it's like they they twist the formula around a little bit. But I think the key, I think the key ingredient that pushes it over the edge to be interesting is the narration uh, that takes place interstitched into it by Ryan Reynolds is so hilarious and so like just takes the uh, expectations of what a game show, you know, should be and plays with it and like calls out the, uh, tropes, you know, and, and says it is, but like in, in, and then the challenges are, I don't think as good as some of the Japanese, um, game show stuff where it's like, like literally the penalty oftentimes is like embarrassment, um, where you're like, like they literally will do something that will embarrass them. Uh, I, I find that like the emotions that they play with and the stakes, I think they're culturally specific in that instance. Uh, but I, I do, uh, I do find that, um, the, the key bit of it is, is that the stakes are emotional stakes. I don't know. That's uh, it's a different experience. We don't have it. Ex- no, I, I, I legit was just putting it on my to watch list while you were Yeah, yeah. You should watch. totally watch it. No, don't, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Oh, snap. That's so funny. Ha. 
So yeah, I think right. ultimately the the promise of hybrid events is is one where we have to isolate the differences uh, between the two types of experiences, uh, play into the strengths uh, of of one, and play into the strengths of the other while creating a cohesive uh, vision of of the expectations on having a cohesive. Um, uh, kind of objective. Uh, and I think the challenge on top of all of those challenges that is is really almost never met is creating a sense of belonging and community between the two groups in order to have, uh, you know, their, uh, uh, them to be on the same playing field and not one being a voyeuristic experience of, of the true event, but instead um, two events that are designed for those environments that actually intermingle each other uh, from an attendee perspective in a way that um, you know, makes both stronger. I know who could spearhead that. Like uh, we were just, You were just talking about it, Nick, because you're Ryan playing Reynolds? it. No, oh, Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Go. They should totally yeah. do a hybrid event. They do. Uh, so oh, they do? Um, yeah, it's GoFest. Uh, and it would have been, uh, I just actually I'm in the midst of trying to catch an Aerodactyl right now. Um, GoFest has <laughs> is an event that that has taken place in the face to face with a with us with a virtual uh, component of it uh, every year for the last three years. And this is the fourth year, but there isn't a face to face one this year for obvious reasons. The first year, if you look up to it, it was like almost fire festival level bad uh, in the things that happened in it. And mostly around uh, if you ever wanted a case study in what what the worst case scenario of having a low amount of uh, bandwidth available for attendees, it's the one. So look up Chicago Go Fest uh, 2017 uh, Niantic. Uh, I, I worked with one of their um, with one of their suppliers, so like I had some inside information as well. But they they just underestimated the the Wi-Fi needs of uh, this group, and they they went on st- and people were booing them and throwing stuff, and it was a whole fiasco. Um, but anyways, uh, that one does that. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, there's a million lessons from Pokemon Go that I could you know I've literally done a a presentation in Barcelona about what events can learn from Pokemon Go. <laughs> Wait, uh, the more important question, Nick. Yeah. Red, blue, or yellow? Oh, uh, Team Mystic oh, blue. Def- oh, definitely okay. red. Definitely red. Oh, you're, you're, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, stick to the first game that you bought, dude. Oh, that's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I like Charizard, it. Charizard, man. Charizard. <laughs> yeah, I used to have that card, <laughs> that really super rare card uh, back in the 90s. Um, uh, are we are we are we going on a, sl- a slippery slope of? Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, if you guys, want an episode, this, if you want an episode about Pokemon favorite. Go, I would love. Oh, that. I would do that. Wait, can everyone just say their favorite Pokemon before they head off? Like before sure. we conclude this. Yeah, I have two, but I mean, I could pick one if you need me to. Yeah, you um, only get one, Nick. You okay, can do one for go... Dustin too. Who? What, oh, <laughs> what do you think perfect. Dustin would want? I wish there was like a really Canadian, like a maple, like a sentient maple leaf or something. Oh, there's got to be Canadian Pokemon googling that right now. Probably, but my favorite Pokemon is Dragonite. Uh, he's a, he's a <sighs> that was mine. Really? Yeah. I, I have a Dragonite right looking right at me now. Uh, a toy oh. of him. And my uh, you... my second one is Jengar. If you don't. Okay, you uh, do that one. Cool. I'll do that one. Um, there is a poutini. I don't know if this is real. A poutini. a poutini or poutine tan. <laughs> sure. I don't know if these are real. Wait, keep it to the original, like 152. Yeah, for, and, and by the original. 
By the way, Dustin would definitely be like Chansey. I feel like that's the nicest Pokemon. Ooh, I like that. Chansey, Chansey. Um, so, well, I'm not, oh, damn it. This one's outside the original 152, but Alex Plaxon, uh, one of the hosts of, of Event Icons, mm-hmm. uh, dubbed my favorite Pokemon as Polter, Poltegeist. Okay. Have you seen Poltegeist? Sure. No. Uh, so, uh, Tui, you got to look it up because you uh, How do you even love us. All that. Well, good, good, we're going to do it all. P O L P O L T E A G E I S T. So, Poltergeist, but T instead of T E R. T. It's a big teapot. That's the cool part about it. It's a big teapot. It's a teapot Pokemon. It's like Beauty and the Beast. Oh, my goodness. That is true. Uh, you drink was more tea than me for all, I don't know maybe I'm not I'm Let sure they see. make a plush for it so uh, go out yeah. there and get a plush yeah uh, I think that that was why uh, he said ah you know honestly I don't remember the original 152 that was like when I was like our listeners old. right now are like what the yeah fuck this, are, are they go, talking about the show go down but no I mean like I started with like Pokemon Red I'd say like Mew Mew or Mewtwo maybe okay and I was like because he has OP in the first game if you guys ever want to do an episode uh, that is what uh, event professionals can learn from pokemon go i'm telling you i have a deck for it uh it's a <laughs> it, it's like it can, no death by powerpoint nick no death by powerpoint no no i mean i don't mean like i mean i have content like i, I did a, a event manager blog post about it uh i went to ibtm uh world in barcelona and and did the, a presentation based on it uh like i literally can and can inspire uh, event design through the the window of uh, pokemon go and that's an excuse to talk about Pokemon Go more than anything. But dare me. All right. All right, Nick. Nick, let's take us home before we just talk about Pokemon for the next. Absolutely. Hour. So if uh, if you guys want to reach us and tell us your favorite Pokemon, uh, it, you can use hashtag <laughs> event brew. Uh, uh, you can email us at uh, event brew at hello dot com. Um, you can rate and review us and make sure that, you know, to just make sure that we know what episode you listen to, you can, you can make a, a random mention of a Pokemon in there. Um, and yeah, you can talk about, uh, uh also about what the difference between a high, a true hybrid event is and, you know, what we've mostly been experiencing. That's what I, I, I'm really curious to get this definition down. And if you guys could help us and what your definition, uh, definition is, I would love to hear it. So, uh, yeah, please reach out to us and, uh, we'd love to connect. Bye. Bye. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Thanks again for listening to Event Group. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. See you next time on Event Brew.